The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Most, most people I know, at some point in their life, experience a, a kind of a moment with God where they come to question a lot of what they've been taught or what they believe, and they want to see if any of it's real or if all of it's real. There's a period of adjustment. And I have this really clear memory for me of about 14 years ago and all of the questions that I was bringing to God. So I was sitting in traffic on the Katy Freeway, headed to work, and I just had all kinds of questions about life. At the time, I was driving a 1996 Dodge Neon, and I had big questions about that. I had questions about why they call the Katy Freeway the Katy Freeway when there is not a single sign anywhere on the Katy Freeway calling it the Katy Freeway. And I had bigger questions about whether or not there was a God. And if there was a God, what did that mean? And a layer deeper than that, if there was a God, why in the world? Was there pain in the world? Why was there suffering? Why was there disappointment and heartache? And it just happened to be a time for me in my life where for a lot of reasons, those questions were really close to the surface and really near. But my guess is that for most of us, maybe you, there came a time in your life when you asked those questions, they are extraordinarily easy questions to ask and just about everyone at some point ask them and and i had this great life i had a great wife and we had our first daughter had a house in the suburbs two fairly reliable cars all the things that i thought that i wanted or at least all of the things that i had been told that i wanted but i still had all of these questions So I did what I always do when I try to figure something out, when I want to know something. I started reading books. I read books about disappointment. I read books about pain. I read books about suffering. I read books about the theology of pain and disappointment and suffering. And I am so positive that my preaching at the time was amazingly uplifting for everybody. And it dawned on me as I was asking all of these questions, that those weren't really the questions that I was asking. Because I I never really doubted if there was a God. And and I knew that pain was just part of the deal for, for a lot of different reasons. The deeper question that I was asking was if there is a world of pain and disappointment and suffering. What was my role in it? What was God calling me to in it? And how in this world of pain, disappointment and suffering was I supposed to be a person of God? 
So if you've been around Ecclesia for the last several weeks, you know that we've been talking about figures from Christian history um, whose manner of being in the world, whose example kind of sets a template for who we feel like God is calling us to be as a people. And one of those people that I discovered in that time of questioning is a man named Dr. Paul Brand. Paul Brand died in 2003. And so I'm sticking with my theme that it's really good to make friends with dead people. Because dead people have answered for themselves all the questions that we are asking. But Paul Brand was the son of missionaries in India. And when he was 15 years old, his parents shipped him back to England um, so he could go to boarding school. And it was while he was in boarding school when he was 15 that his father died. But Paul Brand stayed in England and he finished school, went on to medical school. It was at medical school that he met his wife, Margaret. Both of them were doctors and later he became a surgeon. And after he was finished with school, Paul Brand decided to return to India where his mother was and it was there in India that he became fascinated with the deformities that were caused by Hansen's disease, what you and I would call leprosy. And for the rest of his life, starting in 1946, Paul and Margaret Brand worked with lepers. Some of that work just five hours from here in Carville, Louisiana. One of the more fascinating stories to me in all of scripture has to do with Hansen's disease, with leprosy. And the gospel writer Mark tells us that story in Mark 1. This is what Mark says. <clears throat> he says, a leper walked right up to Jesus, dropped to his knees, and begged him for help. The leper says, if you want to, you can make me clean. So in the gospels, in these stories of Jesus's life, there are all of these stories time and time again about Jesus healing people who had deformities, who were sick, who were dying. And some of those stories are about lepers. And what's interesting right off the bat in this story in Mark 1 is that Mark's not the only one that tells this story. All the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell a version of this story, which means that there's something about this that stood out to all three of them, that impacted all three of them. And probably one of the reasons that this stood out is because this is the kind of thing that shouldn't have happened. Because there are all of these rules for lepers. Like you remember, if you've been around the Bible any time, that lepers had a very strict set of rules. Most of the time, they were kicked out of the community, kicked out of their homes, they had to live outside the city. They couldn't touch anybody, and when they got near someone, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that everybody would know that they had leprosy and were unclean. And this leper, this leper plays by none of those rules. Like he just walks up to Jesus. And there are people around, at least Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he doesn't shout anything. He just comes straight up to Jesus. And that's not it. Like depending on the stage of leprosy, he does some remarkable things. The first is that he actually walks. And the second is that he drops to his knees. 
Now, early on in leprosy, to walk and drop to your knees because leprosy first affected the extremities, the hands, the feet, the face, this would have been incredibly painful. To just walk, to fall to your knees would have been excruciating. Leprosy is incredibly painful until it isn't. And then what happens is that you can't feel anything. The body can't feel anything. So one of my favorite writers is a man named Philip Yancey. And he wrote a book with Paul Brand called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. But I discovered Paul Brand through Philip Yancey in a book that he wrote called Soul Survivor, How My Faith Survived the Church. And interviewing Paul Brand, Phil Yancey writes this about Brand's approach to pain. He says, he, that Paul Brand, insisted on pain's great value, holding up as proof the terrible results of leprosy, damaged faces, blindness, and loss of fingers, toes, and limbs, all of which occur as side effects of painlessness. As a young doctor in India, Brand had made the groundbreaking medical discovery that leprosy does its damage merely by destroying nerve endings. People who lose pain sensation then damage themselves by such simple actions as gripping a splintered rake or wearing tight shorts. Pressure sores form, infection sets in, and no pain signals alert them to tend to the wounded area. Most people view pain as an enemy. Yet as my leprosy patients prove, It forces us to pay attention to the threats against our bodies. Without it, heart attacks, strokes, ruptured appendices, and stomach ulcers would all occur without any warning. Here's one of the things that I discovered about pain, disappointment, and suffering. Is that Jesus can heal you by taking away the pain or giving the pain. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. And there's no one that I've ever met who looks at pain and says, you know what, sign me up. Like, that's what I want. But you know what also I know? That you've encountered people who have never encountered pain or who have had very little pain And what you probably haven't put your your finger on, but you know down in the depth of your soul, is that people who have not encountered pain or have experienced very little pain are terrible people. Because you've encountered people who are self-centered and arrogant. You know people who don't consider the experiences of other people. You've seen people who no matter what's happening in the world, figure out a way to make it about them, and they diminish or dismiss the suffering of other people just because it's not happening in their neighborhood or their city or their country, that it doesn't matter. You know people who dismiss abuse. Part of what all of us need is pain. And your relationships will suffer 
your formation will suffer, your growth will suffer if you don't experience pain. And that's not to say that it's all good. (laughs) That whatever pain you're in, that you're just in a great place because none of us believe that either. But what it is to say is that life has a way of shaping and molding us through pain. And one of the things, one of the virtues that we hold as a church, that who we are as Ecclesia, is that we will never be a place where you have to pretend that life is not painful. That you're not disappointed or hurt. That relationships that really matter to you fall apart. That some of us have walked through divorces and had this experience of trying to make something that was extremely meaningful seem casual. That many of us are in the middle of watching someone that we love deeply surrender themselves to death. That there are parents who just don't know what to do with where they are with their children. And and you've been a part of those communities where you have to show up on Sunday morning and everyone asks, how are you doing? And you have to say fine because you know that the range of emotional experience accepted in that place is from joy to joy. (laughs) And that's not how life works. That pain is inherent to what we experience as people. And like lepers, people who never experience pain only increase the possibility of damage. But Mark's not done with this story. He says, Jesus was powerfully moved. He reached out and actually touched the leper. Now, now that word that Mark uses, that word moved, could also be translated angered, that Jesus was either powerfully moved or powerfully angered. And we don't really know. Mark doesn't tell us what he's moved or angered by. Could it be the disease or could it be the effects of the disease? But Jesus does what no right-thinking person does. Like he touches a leper, which is extraordinarily contagious. Paul Brand worked his entire life with lepers. And on a trip back to India, Philip Yancey traveled with him and Margaret to interview some of his former patients. And he tells this story about one of his former patients, Sudan. Sudan showed me his feet, which ended in smooth rounded stumps instead of toes. I met the brands too late to save these, he said, but they gave me shoes that let me walk. In a high-pitched sing-song voice, Sedan told me wrenching stories of past rejection, the classmates who made fun of him in school, the driver who forcibly threw him off a public bus, the many employers who refused to hire him despite his training and talent, the hospitals that turned him away with a brusque, we don't treat lepers here. When I got to Valor, I spent the night on the brand's veranda because I had nowhere else to go. That was unheard of for a person with leprosy back then. I can still remember when Dr. Brand took my infected, bleeding feet in his hands. 
I had been to many doctors. A few had examined my hands and feet from a distance, but doctors Paul and Margaret were the first medical workers who dared to touch me. I had nearly forgotten what human touch felt like. So why does Jesus touch a leper's body? Paul and Margaret Brand had to. They had to get a sense of what was going on, but Jesus, Jesus could heal someone from anywhere. It's probably because Jesus knows that the real problem isn't leprosy. The real problem is that too many of us have lived too long without human touch. And what happens is that God creates these beings who deeply need one another, but we also deeply reject one another. And so we twist all of that and our need for touch and contact gets twisted and sexualized. And we forget that as people, we just need touch. We need not just touch, but someone to be with us. Because we all know, we all figure out eventually that life is hard. But we also figure out that some of the hard is made easy by people who are with you. And isn't that what you do when you need people? Isn't that what you do when you're sitting in the doctor's office and you're getting the good news about being pregnant or you're getting the bad news about the diagnosis? Isn't that what you do in the moments when you are proud of a parent or a child or a sibling? When the doctor walks in and says that she, that he has passed, isn't that what you do? Don't you, don't you reach for somebody? So we have two daughters and we had experience that everybody who's ever had children has had. When you wake up in the morning and in your bed is one of your children and you don't know how they got there. And sometimes they come in and they'll give you a heads up and it'll be, I had a bad dream or I heard a noise, can I sleep in here? And you wanna say no, but that takes more energy than saying yes and just rolling back over. So you just pick them up and throw them in the bed. But there are some times where you don't know how they got there. And so several years ago, when our youngest daughter was in the second grade, we had this, this season of life where every morning we would find her in the bed and neither Rochelle or I would know how in the world she got there. And so one night I woke up as she was coming in the room and I saw her standing at the foot of the bed and just holding her bear and like looking like for a moment, like she was about to double dutch. 
And then I saw her crawl across the foot of the bed very slowly. The intent was deception. (laughs) And then up the middle of the bed, that's how she got there. And so I was talking to some of my friends about it and a lot of parents would go through a whole lot of consternation about how do we get this child back in their own bed and they gotta learn to sleep in their own bed and all of that. But I remembered what my first um, spiritual director's wife told us. Um, She was a doctor when we lived in California and we had had our oldest daughter who had spent a time kind of sneaking in and sleeping in the bed too. And I remember asking her what we should do about that. And she said nothing. She'll stop when she doesn't need it anymore. And one of the things you do learn as a parent is sometimes your kids need something from you and you can't give it to them because they can't really articulate what it is. And so you just kind of have to ride that out. But you never grow out of it. You never grow out of needing someone near you to touch. When you know why you need it, when you don't know why you need it, all of us need someone who will touch us, who will be with us. And this is why the Hebrew scriptures over and over again talk about God and say that God will turn his face toward you. So why does Jesus touch? Because when life is painful, the answer is presence. Because you're not gonna be able to fix everything. You're not even gonna be able to fix most things. But you'll always be able to be there. And that's why we as a church, like just today, at this very moment, we have a team of people serving um, young women who have been sex trafficked in Mexico City. It's why we're involved with water wells around the world and why we send groups to Colombia and Venezuela and everywhere we see a need, why we go and serve people who are escaping war and famine, who are coming north as migrants. Because when life is painful, the answer is presence. Your life, my life, is made better, not by fixes always, but by the awareness of presence. And so Jesus touches this leper. And the amazing thing, when you read this story, and you you really need to read your Bible and you really need to read it slowly because you miss something, touching him doesn't heal him. Jesus just touches him to touch him. And the man says, if you want, I can be made clean. Jesus responds this way. Jesus says, I do want to. Literally what Jesus says, of course. If you want to heal me, you can. Of course. Be clean. At that very moment, the disease left him. The leper was cleansed and made whole once again. Jesus sent him away, but first he warned him strongly. 
don't tell anybody how this happened. Just go and show yourself to the priest so that he can certify you're clean, perform the ceremony prescribed by Moses as proof of your cleansing, and then you may return home. Now, this is the coolest story because this leper comes to Jesus and he says, you know, if you want to, you can make me clean. But when Mark tells the story, he says that Jesus made him whole. And there's some overlap, but there's a big difference in just being made clean and being made whole. And part of the reason that Jesus performs the miracle the way he performs the miracle is that he could make him clean from anywhere. But he has to be there to make him whole. And then Jesus tells him, hey, don't tell anybody, making Jesus the worst marketing director in the history of the world. Because how's the word going to get out if he doesn't tell anybody? Like Jesus should have hired whoever is running that Popeye's chicken sandwich viral thing that's going on. Like that's how you get the word out. But maybe Jesus knows something that we don't know. Because if he gets the word out, I mean, that serves one purpose. But in this moment, it may not serve Jesus' purpose. Why not tell everybody? Maybe it's not for everybody, at least, at least not yet. It's only Mark 1. Paul Brand talked about it this way. He said, love is not mathematical. We can never precisely calculate the greatest possible good to be applied equally to the world's poor and needy. We can only seek out one person and then another, and then another, as objects of God's love. So Ecclesia, I only have like one suggestion, one to do for you. Because if you look at the world, this world of pain, disappointment, and suffering, just to do one thing, when you see it, when you spot it, when you locate pain, suffering, and disappointment, your job, my job, is just to draw near. To draw near. To not avoid it, not walk around it, not pretend it's not there. It's just to draw near. And in so doing, we emulate Jesus Christ who looked down on us. And as John 1 says, that Jesus saw us and moved into the neighborhood. That God came near. And in doing so, healed and redeemed and restored everything that is broken. Church, let me pray for you. God, would you show us where to draw near and how to draw near? To be people who respond to a broken planet with touch and nearness, 
to not be afraid to go places and to be with the people who need you most as Jesus has done for us. And we thank you for the coming of Jesus that gives us new life. And it's his his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.